Hey everyone and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my book-loving wife, as always, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests and we try to bring each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and, and sports. I was going to say, and sports? I'm like, I guess she forgot about the sports episode already, so on to the book episode then. That's not hard. Yeah. We spent our morning, instead of recording the podcast, down in Arlington at their library book sale, which was different than the other book sale we went to. Yeah, there was a lot more books, but I feel like the quality was a little better at the smaller library, but maybe it's just me. Well, we were also going on the last day of the sale, so I think all the good quality books, or a lot of them, were gone. Sadly, because of my job, we are almost always going to the last day of book sales. Right. So they have usually been thoroughly picked through. The good news is there's always some kind of special discount whenever we go because of it. Right, right. I think we got 11 things for $7, so... And one of the things was my fault for $2.50, so, like, realistically, for quite a bit less. Yeah, we got about 10 items for less than 5 bucks. once you take the movie out of everything. So that was a lot of fun, and I actually found a decent amount of Christmas-related things, which is perfect. Yeah, it was definitely an okay haul. Maybe we made that our first YouTube video, is the haul from the weird book library sale. You found a couple things, I found a couple things, and I've already read one of the books that we picked up. It was Tweet Cute by Emma Lord. I had read it as an arc, I think it was a full year ago now, and... I never managed to pick up the actual book, but it was there at the library, and it's actually still in really good condition, because it's not that old. I'll be honest, I was kind of shocked that it was there. Right. Because a lot of the books that were there are, like, were older books. There were some really old Nora Roberts, and Rice. What else was there? A lot of Tom Clancy. There was some Schusterman. What else? There was some Stephen King, some Some, James Patterson. Some Clive Cussler was there as well, a little bit. Didn't even know who that was. Yeah, he's kind of a Tom Clancy guy. Does, like, police and, like, Mm. firemen stories. Okay. Not the kind that, like, some of the people you watch on YouTube read about, but... (laughs) They're not sexy police and firemen? (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm sorry. What's funny is I might watch YouTube videos where that person's read one or two of those in the month, but, like... I don't read those. Yeah. It's always entertaining because that like you're literally pulling out just different smut books and you're just like showing you the cover. You're like, how about this one? Did you want to read this one? And it's just a dude with six pack abs and a vest on, and I'm like, No, I'm not interested. Thank you. Pretty sure one guy had twelve pack abs. Yeah. Like that's not even possible. <laughs> For the cover of this smut fireman book it is. <laughs> but for the actual news, yes. instead of just funny things we saw at the book sale. Netflix has greenlit Grendel, which is a new series based on the masked vigilante from the Matt Wagner, I think, or Wagner, or Dark Horse comic books. It's based on his groundbreaking comic book series that follows Hunter Rose, who is a gifted fencer and assassin, seeking to avenge the death of a lost love. He goes to war with New York's criminal underworld, only to realize why beat them when you can join them. Andrew Dobb will serve as writer and showrunner, and he is known for Resident Evil and Supernatural. It's kind of a pretty solid resume. Like, when I saw that at Depends first Depends on notes, what season of Supernatural it was. Yeah, but still, though, like, as long as it's not any of them after, like, six or seven, I feel right. like it was probably a pretty good 
Good job. And the creator said in a statement, I couldn't be more thrilled about the Grendel saga, which is one of the longest running independent comic series, finally being translated into live action for the screen. The executive producers for the show include Dark Horse Entertainment's Mike Richardson, Keith Goldberg, Chris Tung, and the creator. The series will be eight episodes and available for streaming on Netflix. I really wish Netflix would commit to longer than eight episode seasons. Or ten episodes, yeah. Like a a 12, maybe a 16, somewhere in there. Like those would be like good numbers, I feel like. Right. We don't need to go back to fully 22, 24 episode seasons because that's so much filler. But at the same time, eight is not enough. It's not. It's truly not. Because like I feel like you can power through eight. If you really tried in like a day, maybe two tops, if you really like spread it out. Well, when Shadow and Bone came out and when The One came out on Netflix, those days I just watched the shows all the way through and like it wasn't even that hard. I just had to make sure I didn't have any work to do. Right. So come on. Yeah. And then the 2021 Booker shortlist came out this past week. The Booker Prize is awarded for the best novel written in English and published in the UK or Ireland. A seven-person panel constituted by authors, librarians, literary agents, publishers, and booksellers is appointed by the Booker Prize Foundation. Last year's prize went to Douglas Stewart's Shuggy Bain, which I've never heard of before. This year's list includes the following. A Passage North by Anouk Arud Pragsama, I assume that's how you say his name. It's an adult historical fiction novel that follows a young man's journey into Sri Lanka's war-torn north. The Promise by Damon Galgut, which is another adult historical fiction novel. This one charts the crash and burn of a white southern African family living on a farm outside Pretoria. The third On this list is No One Is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood. This one is an adult contemporary novel that opens with a woman who has recently been elevated to prominence for her social media post and who travels around the world to meet her adoring fans. It then takes a weird turn involving a portal and people controlling each other through their thoughts. I kind of like the publicity style of the title of the book. I'm sure it has relevance to the book, but like... It kind of is attention-grabbing. Well, it's also something that's said a lot, like, especially on Tumblr, where it's like, here's this thing, no one's talking about this, but this is a big deal, and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So, it feels like that might have come from actual social media. The next is The Fortune Men by Nadifa Mohammed. It is an adult historical fiction slash mystery novel. It's a story of a murder, a miscarriage of justice, and a man too innocent for his times. Then there is Bewilderment by Richard Powers. This one is an adult literary fiction novel about a son and father grieving the loss of the mother or spouse, depending on which one of those you're talking about. The final one is Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. It's an adult historical fiction novel set during the Prohibition era in the Pacific Northwest, Alaska, New Zealand, and London. The novel tells the story of a daredevil female aviator determined to chart her own course in life at any cost. And the winners for this award are going to be announced on November 3rd. Gotcha. And this week there was also another 
list done for a different award, but it was the longer of the list. It hadn't been shortened down yet. So there were like 10 books per genre. And I'm like, I'm not going to go into that here. And eight weeks later, we'll finish talking about this other book award. Right. So I'm going to wait till it gets cold down and it's into the short list and then talk about it. It'll still be long though. It seemed like this one though had a lot of historical fiction. Like that is something that bothers me about most awards that are given out. Like it has to be something that's like hard hitting and like emotional and it can't just be like this is a really well done science fiction novel and like it doesn't have any morals to shove in my face but it was done really well. But like there are specific genre awards and I feel like that's why they don't care about most genres in this type of award, the Booker Prize. Because it's like, well, sci-fi and fantasy already have an award, so it doesn't matter if we overlook it. And you don't necessarily have that as much with, like, historical fiction and contemporary and stuff like that. And that's really, I think, part of the reason that they get a spotlight in most awards. Well, what drives me crazy is the oxymoron of historical and fiction being combined in the first place. Like, it's just two things that shouldn't go together, but... Would it make you feel better if I called it a historical AU, alternate universe? No. Oh, well. Still the same thing. Basically, there's a story they want to tell, but they want to set it in this time. Something that's historical, correct. Yeah. Yeah. I understand what it is, I just... Don't like it? Yeah, it's just weird. But it's just, my opinion on it is... Things don't have to have this, like, moral or, like, be hard-hitting in order to be good and worthy of your time. And, like, I hate historical fiction, so how many books does that cut out for me? A pretty big chunk. Four out of the six? And one of them is a literary fiction, so I would assume I wouldn't like that either. So there's really only one that I could think about reading and be like, yeah, I like that, or I didn't, whatever I feel about it, but... It was the only one that sounded interesting by its premise versus the genre. So it's pretty accurate to what I like and what I don't like. Now, this next tag that I did, I liked it because it was called the Wonderlust book tag. And so like, that's why I wanted to do it. But I realized as I was filling it out that this is actually a really hard tag dependent on you being someone who reads different genres different settings and stuff like that. So like if you don't or you don't have that experience, it's really hard to fill out this tag. I'm raising my hand because that's me. Yeah, that's you. So I'm just going to go through it with my answers. And when you have one, you can answer it too. I'll tell you right now, I have the last three, so we won't go too crazy. Okay, so be prepared to hear me talk for a bit. Yes. The first one is Secrets and Lies. What is a book set in a sleepy small town? And I chose The Tourist Attraction by Sarah Morgenthaler. There were some other ones that I was thinking about in the question, but I feel like this was the only one that's like a sleepy small town instead of just a small town because the only things that happen here are when the tourists come through during the decent months. And also, I really like the whole series. A lot of people have not enjoyed the third book which I completely disagree with because that was my favorite one but they're really light fun contemporary reads and the next one is salt and sand 
what is a book with a beachside community? And it's really convenient because I recently read The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Clune, and you do explore some of the seaside, beachside community. The next one is Here There Be Dragons, a book with a voyage on the high seas. And I picked Fable by Adrian Young because it's the one that I read that has the most time at sea. I read recently Red Seas Under Red Skies by Scott Lynch, but I felt like while it talked a lot about them being on the sea and sailors, Fable and the follow-up namesake are both almost exclusively on the boat. The next one, Tread Lightly. What is a book set down a murky river or a jungle? This is probably the one I had the most trouble with because I don't read a lot of like jungly books. Except for Jungle Book? I don't think I've even read Jungle Book. What? Well, I, I watched the movie all the time as a kid. I was going to say, I read it as a younger kid, but it's been far too long for me to be like, yes, that. But I said, the whole book isn't set here, but I picked Red Queen by Victoria Aveyard. Our main character, Mare, lives in the poverty-stricken stilts at the start of the series. And at some points later, you see the royalty pass through their town via the river. So I felt like that kind of counts. The next is Frozen Waste. What is a book with a frostbitten atmosphere? And the main one that I thought about for this, probably because I read it somewhat recently, is Naked Noel's Christmas Playlist by Cody Hall. It's set in the small northern town of Mistletoe during the weeks leading up to Christmas. That makes a lot of sense. That that would uh, be snow-based. Yeah. A little frostbitten environment. On top of that, his family runs a Christmas tree farm. It's pretty perfect. Yeah. The Boonies, what's a book with... Rough or Isolated Terrain, and I picked The Girl of Fire and Thorns by Ray Carson. I could have chosen pretty much any desert fantasy, I feel like, because that's pretty rough terrain. But at one point during this book, the main character has to walk through the desert for weeks with a caravan. So, like, that sounds pretty rough to me. Definitely, indeed. Wandering through the desert is never a fun thing. Then there's Hinterlands and Cowboys. What's a book with a Western-esque setting? For this one, I picked one that technically could have qualified for the previous question, but it's Blood Red Road by Moira Young. In this one, they're pretty much cowboys and like doing bad things to each other and riding around on their horses. They also have this moment in this town between where they start and where they end the novel and people get drugged there and like there's cage fighting but it basically feels like an old western ghost town is what it feels like so i couldn't pick anything i've read that's better than that right and the next question is look lively what is a book set across sweeping desert sands So I put Dune for this one, but I read it when I was in high school. So again, it's been a little while since I read it, but Dune is very deserty. I have not read it. I picked Rebel of the Sands by Alwyn Hamilton. It's a desert fantasy, so kind of checks the box. Yeah. The penultimate question, Wild and Untamed, what is a book set in the heart of the woods? It's one of the books that we're going to be reading for next week's episode that I've read, Hatchet. Exciting. Because it's about being in the Canadian forests, so you'll enjoy it. 
more wandering in the woods. Yes. For this one, I picked Graceling by Kristen Kishore. It's been a while since I've read this one, but I distinctly remember them walking through the woods a lot. And the last question, Wildest Dreams? What is a whimsical book shrouded in magic? This is an easy one for me because it's the only one that I read. Harry Potter! I don't know that I would call it whimsical. Like, I definitely think book one is. Like, that's the goal in the writing in Correct. book one for sure. But I think the series as a whole kind of deviates from, like, that sense of whimsy at first when Harry first discovers magic. After at least the second book, for sure, it's completely gone. It's all about it being darker at that point in time, so... Definitely by book four, like, the end of book four. It's no longer about, like, this fun adventure Harry goes on, but more like this, like, darker destiny. For me, I picked a recent read, which was... Stardust by Neil Gaiman. It's definitely whimsical, definitely magical. Also, there are ghosts. So, like, a bit of everything there for you. Who doesn't love some ghosts? An adventure. Who are you going to call to handle those ghosts? Myself. I can do it. Oh, you don't trust the Ghostbusters anymore? No. Oh. I've never seen that movie, so I knew what the answer was supposed to be. I just didn't say it. I look forward to our Halloween movie marathon then, because it is included in it, so. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yep. As for what I've been reading lately, I'm me, so be prepared. It's It's, not eight books this time. It's not as bad as it was, but the first book I read was Only Human by Sylvain Nouvelle, which is a 2018 release, and book number three in The Themis Files. It's an adult science fiction novel that I rated 4.25 stars, so it's very good. I think the previous book I gave 4.5 because I think the middle book is actually the best, which is weird because normally with a trilogy, the second's the worst. But Because it's usually a lot of like setup and time establishing the exciting stuff. But the middle one was actually my favorite book in this series. That and is really interesting. There are extra files to read in between books. And so actually I was originally going to rate this four stars. But then I read the extra file online and I was like, wait a second. So I want more books, basically, is what I'm saying. Understandable. But the Themis files follow a girl named Rose Franklin who accidentally fell into a hole in the woods at 11 years old and ended up in a giant metal hand. During her lifetime, she works to understand this alien technology is the best way I can explain it without giving away the whole book. Gotcha. Because it is the third in the series. And we don't like spoilers here. Most of the time. We try to avoid them. And then I finished Watchmen by Alan Moore. It's a 1987 release and part of my 40 Books Before 40 project. This is an adult comic series. For me, I read each comic and gave it a rating. And so the averaged rating from that is 2.42 stars. So I think it's not good. I was going to say bad, but like it's not actually bad, but it's kind of bad. The series is set in an alternate U.S. in the 1980s, where ex-superheroes must come together when they face a new threat. Also, in this world, the superheroes are kind of viewed as vigilantes and like not great people now. But during their heyday, they were all like the most popular and well-loved. And now they're sort of just dealing with the fact that they kind of fell from grace in the eyes of the world. So Rorschach's a problem. He's one of the main characters in the comics. He is such a Republican piece of crap. And so, like, I'm just reading what he's saying. He's calling women's... 
cats and stuff all over the place. I was like, she kissed her boyfriend on the sidewalk and you think she's like this dirty, gross person. Keep in mind that these comics were not written during current time. Well, no, but a lot of it stems from Rorschach's history and we get that in one of the comics and i think it was the one i rated the highest but just like him as a person after everything he's gone through in his entire life i i wouldn't like him at all and also there was sort of like a comic within the comic that's one of the characters that we see but who is not actually like a main character read at a newsstand It just feels pointless. Like, it's supposed to give you hints to what's actually happening in the story without actually showing it to you by describing this comic. And, like, it's just messy, in my opinion. And there were panels where, like, it's a tiny panel, but it takes you, like, ten minutes to read all the text on that freaking one panel. And I realized when I was looking on Goodreads that this is a common complaint for people who don't rate it highly is that there's too much text in each panel of the comic. Not enough flow, just too much in one panel. Well, and, like, not only do you have text between, like, two people who aren't seen in that panel, like, you have this guy who is reading this comic, and you're seeing from his perspective, which is the comic, and you're reading what's on that panel of the comic within the comic, but then two people who aren't in the picture are also talking. And you can read that or he would have heard that. And so it's just like, it's too much. And so I think that's why I rated this whole thing the way I did. I'm glad I read it because it's part of my project and I probably would have been thinking, you know, I should pick that up at some point, but now I know how I feel about it. Which means it sounds like it's going to be a me book. Probably you more than me, but like, I get what it was trying to do. It just needs to try to do it in less words. Gotcha. And I followed that up with Stardust by Neil Gaiman. I wasn't going to read this yet, but my book hadn't arrived. The one that I was waiting on because it's a new release. But as you and I know, there are starting to be distribution problems. There's starting to be mailing problems. So it took longer than it was supposed to. I was going to say mailing problems have been going on since last year. Distribution It's been pretty bad lately. Not for books. So, like, books are finally starting to be affected by this. Production slowed a little bit last year during COVID, but they figured out how to kind of still keep going. But you're definitely seeing the hard-hittingness now because, like, if you don't get your book, you're waiting for it for a while. Yeah. So while I was waiting for the new release from Jennifer Lynn Barnes, I read Stardust by Neil Gaiman. This is a 1998 release and part of my 40 Books Before 40 project. This one, I called a YA fantasy. It's almost like a new fairy tale, the way he's trying to write it. And I ended up reading it 3.5 stars. It was good, slightly better than good, but not great. And this is a generational story about living in the town of Wall, which protects the gate to fairy. Tristran Thorne has promised his beloved that he would go find the star that they saw fall to the earth together and must venture into the land of fairy to do so. This is kind of funny to see because he doesn't know that his mother actually comes from fairy, so then we have like this whole thing about his lineage and everything like that. I think the main problem I had when reading it is it's hard to get into just because the writing style. 
it is overly descriptive and flowery and it feels unnecessary. But at the same time, if you're trying to like bring up this fantasy world and all of that, you kind of have to make it overly flowery. But it was good and I'm glad I read it and I might watch the movie at some point. Ben Barnes is in the movie, so that's another reason to watch it. For you, yes. Not for you? Uh, I don't, like, what work would I be attached to Ben Barnes for, I guess? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you just like his face. A lot of people like his face. I can't picture his face in my head. He was General Kurrigan in the Grisha TV show. I never watched that. You watched that without me. He was also Tristran Thorne's father in the Stardust TV show or movie, I guess. I clears it right up. You're right. You're welcome. And then my book finally came in and I was able to read The Hawthorne Legacy by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. It's a new release. came out the first week of September and it's book number two in the Inheritance Games trilogy. It's a YA mystery series, and I rated this book 4.25 stars. It's slightly less than I rated the first one, although I did still really enjoy it. The series is about a girl named Avery Grams, who is surprised to learn that a billionaire she's never met has left his entire estate to her in his will. In order to inherit, she must live at Hawthorne House for 12 months with the disinherited family and their staff. Can she solve the clues left by the late Tobias Hawthorne with the family breathing down her neck? And book number two pretty much picks up where the previous book left off. And now I have to wait another year for the next one. That's on me, I suppose. That's kind of a little bit of a bummer, waiting a whole another year. And hopefully it actually comes out in a year. There's delays still not going on for your sake. I know she is in the editing process at this point, so I hope it doesn't get delayed. But if it does, it's not on her end. It's on the supply chain problem. Yeah. And what I plan on reading next is going to be really short because I'm currently halfway through The Republic of Thieves by Scott Lynch, or almost halfway through. It's a 2013 release and book number three in the Gentleman sequence. It's an adult fantasy series featuring Locke Lamora, who is raised up by a master con artist and priest of the unnamed 13th. He grows up to become a priest himself and does cons in the Crooked Warden's name. Here, we're supposed to get more backstory and finally meet a character that was only mentioned in the previous two books. And at the halfway point, we definitely have met Sabatha and... I have this weird thing where, like, I like her and I don't like her at the same time, so we'll see how the story goes from here. I definitely agree with something that she said to Locke at one point in the story, and I'm like, Locke, quit being an idiot. Because, like, of course she thinks that about you. That's how you are. I will definitely finish that this week, but I don't think I'm going to have time for much else. But I will be reading Hatchet by Gary Paulson. It is a 1987 release, and it's considered a middle-grade classic on Goodreads. I don't know if that fits into what you think about it. I think it is. It kind of lands right there in that middle-grade classic area, just because it's got that little bit of olderness to it, but it's a pretty easy read, so like middle-grade is kind of where it belongs. Yeah, and from what I understand, it is a story about a boy who is on his way to visit his estranged father, When the plane goes down in the remote Canadian wilderness. In the story, he struggles to find food and make shelter despite not having any wilderness training. It's definitely an interesting book. And I think like there's always some, 
challenge that's going on, which is probably the reason I enjoyed it when I was a kid. And I have such fond memories of it, but I think I think you'll enjoy it as well. Maybe not as much as some of your other books. I'm just hoping it gets above a three for you. Because if it's less than that, I might be heartbroken. Well, just be prepared, because I don't know that it's going to get a three. But this is your first pick that you've done for the podcast. Like, everything else that we've read, I have picked out for us. So we'll see how that goes. I'm worried that all the books that you pick out for me to read, I'm going to be like two stars. Absolutely not. I'm worried that all the books I pick out, you're just not going to give a chance because you're going to be like, boy pick, horrible book. No, I'll give it a chance. I've heard of Hatchet before and I know that my brother read it when we were kids. So like. That's why it's getting docked points? No, it's not getting docked points at all. It's just like, I know of this book already. So it's not like I am going in holding anything above this book's head or anything. Yeah. Either way, I'm excited that my pick is finally going to be a pick and we're going to get to talk about it next week. It is a pretty short book, so I know I'll have time even if it takes me a while to finish the Loch Lamora book. That's good. But this is our last week of discussing the Renegade series by Marissa Meyer because you finished the final book this past week. And boy, you were definitely right to tell me that things were going to happen very quickly because things and things and things and things and things. Right. Obviously, last week we left off with them, like, dueling to the death inside the dome. And then the villains end up escaping with Ace Yep. on that slab from the ruined dome. Yep. Nova thinks that they're going to go back to their, like, hideout place. And Ace is like, this isn't good enough for us, basically, because he's a little brat. Do you really blame him? I don't think that the church is that great when they first get there either. Yeah, but he's rebuilt it more than once before, so... And he does use his powers with the helmet in order to just put the church back together like it's nothing. It's like you put a Lego set back together from pieces that are all different shapes and sizes. But the renegades are, like, in shambles trying to recover. They're reaching out to all the different syndicates, like, send help, SOS. We need help, yes. Send help now. And so they're actively waiting on a lot of that. And you have Adrian, who's just, like, getting impatient, like, we need to attack them now. Right. And it's like, dude, relax. Until the cavalry is available, probably not the best decision. And boy, did he find that out the hard way. Well, because... After his friends and family get their wounds treated, Adrian and his team end up going into the tunnels via the subway and end up finding their way into the church. And at first, Adrian's very confused, like, why is Nova there with these villains? Like, has she been kidnapped? Has she been brainwashed? What is happening? She's like, no, no, no. I'm with These are my homies now, not you guys. Remember, these are the OGs. You were just the kind of spy situation for me. But it's sort of hard for her because she is disagreeing with Ace in principle of what they should be doing now and how they should be. Because she thinks, we need to just get out of town. Let them have this city. We'll do another city. Whatever. We're all together and safe and that's what matters. And Ace is like, no, they're going to have to pay for what they did. Yeah. It's constantly a need for revenge rather than solving the problem. Right. Which would be to just go somewhere else. Well, and make a world where you're not considered a villain just because you're not with the renegades. Right. And 
Instead, Ace ends up building a wall or like more like a dome around the church out of garbage and doors and Metal, debris. rubble, whatever he could get his hands on, basically. As a way to like protect themselves before the siege starts, I guess. And a scene that I find really funny is after they've captured Adrian and his crew... The queen bee has started working on him, like, torturing him. She sees his tattoos of, like, the springs in his feet and stuff like that. And it's like, well, that's clever. I'm like, queen bee, I want to not like you because you're such, like, a mean person. But at the same time, you're kind of funny. Truly. But they had separated Adrian and Oscar and Dana. Mm-hmm. Was it Dana? It was Dana, yeah. yeah. Or Dana. We were going to call her. While the torture was going on with Queen Bee and Adrian. And here you see Nova has a problem with Honey torturing him. And the fact that she is removing his tattoos one by one. So that he can't have those powers anymore. And Nova like basically seems like she's going to throw up. And she has a real hard time watching this happen. Because she loves him. Yeah, she's definitely having that internal strife that, like, you expected to have existed the whole time, and... Well, I feel like she's been going through this the whole time, but now it's just kicked up a notch because, like, he's actively being tortured in front of her. As well, too, she has that battle of, I really don't like Ace right now, and so it's just, like... I don't necessarily believe in the mission that he set for us. Right. And so it's hard for her to feel... Anything good for the villains at the moment. And then Phobia comes and gets them so that they can talk to Ace. But when Phobia has walked away and they're about to have the conversation with Ace, that's when Nova starts asking Honey, how did Phobia come to be an anarchist? And she's like, he just showed up one day. It's like, that's not a great backstory. Do we know anything about him? She's like, nope. That's when she starts connecting the dots to, like, the pictures from the comics and stuff like that completely to being like, I know who created Ace. Yeah. Or not Ace. Who created Phobia. I know who created Phobia, yeah. It's because Narcissa had shown her the drawings that Adrian had done as a child, and now you're starting to see that idea come forth a little bit more. And Nova tries to bring this question up to Adrian. He's like, absolutely not. Complete denial. That is not what happened because that would have meant that he had created his mother's killer. Right. NBD. Which is real messed up. A little more than kind of messed up. I would say that's like really, really messed up. But the reason that Ace wanted them was so that they could go up to the bell tower while Adrian's father comes into the dome so that he can basically threaten Adrian and make sure that he has the upper hand against Captain Chromium. And I believe during that whole conflict, like, you had Honey, Ace, Captain Chromium, Nova, and Adrian, who were all, like, in the vicinity. And that while Ace was talking, he was like, I'll have Nova shoot him. And, like, it'll happen. I will kill your child in front of your face. But Nova doesn't want to shoot him. And during all this, all hell is kind of breaking loose because, like, Captain Chromium is... Just trying to make the decision of, do I try to save him? Like, what do I do? And so in the process, decides throwing this the friggin' chromium pike at her is the right decision to try to kill her before she can kill him. So it's just like craziness. During that whole tussle, 
Ace gives him a flask of the agent in and says, if you drink this, no one's going to kill your kid. Yeah. And so he drinks it, but it doesn't work. Because obviously he's Captain Chromium. He is invincible. Yep. And then he's like, just kidding. We're going to kill your kid. Nightmare, do it. Yeah. But of course, Nightmare doesn't do it. And that's when she's attacked by Honey with all the bees. And Adrian is as well. Yeah, those really bad hornet stings that cause you to swell up and all that fun stuff. She ends up shooting Honey. Yes. Then all the bees are gone because, like, she was the one controlling them. Right. So they stopped stinging They're Adrian like, and They, like, finally Nova. were free and they flew away slowly but surely. And that's when Adrian and Nova start helping each other in this situation. She unties him. He helps with her wounds. They're talking about what to do. Like, Adrian's like, help me because Ace wants us dead. And she's like, he's my uncle. And he says, he's an anarchist. I'm an anarchist. No, you're a renegade. I just thought that whole scene was funny. No, you're a renegade. No, you're a renegade. No, you're an anarchist. No, everyone's renegades. We're all here together. And she asks him about, how can you still trust me? And she's like, well, we've got nothing to lie about right now, right? Yeah. Everything's out in the open. And Leroy comes up, tries to throw poison on Adrian, but he's got that shifty new wall yeah. that he can use. So it protects him. And they end up having to fight off Leroy. And I believe in doing so, they end up dropping the bell from the bell tower and crushing that part of the church. And it was just newly built. And they just ruined it. New, newly rebuilt, not yes. built. The way I pictured it, it was like prepared to crumble anyways. It was like, as they were going up the stairs, they specifically said that they sounded like they were creaking and working to support our weight in the first place. Right, right. So He's not an engineer, all right? He yeah. did what he could do. It was pretty quick work, to say the least. And they're talking about how both of their families are scary, which I thought was funny. Your dad's scary. Well, your uncle is scary. <laughs> no disagreement. I would say they both were pretty frightening, to be completely honest. Right. And they basically... Stick Leroy into the bell so that if anything falls, it's not going to fall on him and crush him. Yeah. Which, good planning, I guess. I was like, smart-ish. Like, if enough weight falls on the bell, it's going to crush just the same, but... Right. And then they go off to find Oscar and Dana, Dana, and see them with Narcissa fighting off Phobia. And he's currently in the shape of birds because that's Dana's, Dana's fear. Well, yeah, and it probably keeps her from using her butterfly power because... She doesn't want to lose her butterflies to the birds. Right. And I think during that fight, that's when Adrian really realizes that, yeah, this is my creation, this is what I did, because isn't that when they used the agent in on Adrian so they could get rid of Phobia through the fact that he doesn't have powers anymore? After he burned off the drawing on his chest to protect him from the things. Yeah, the vitality charm that he had tattooed on his chest got burnt off. Which, ouch. Branding yourself like that's yikes. Yeah. An X marks the old spot of the vitality charm, and then he literally did it to himself in order to kill off any of his powers that he's created, so... Yeah, any of his creations then just stopped existing. Right. Because of that, Phobia disappears, and he's like, yep, definitely one of mine. Yeah. At that point, it's pretty dead to rights that that was the, the case. 
And then we get to the duel on the roof shortly thereafter that. Yes. And it's sort of a convoluted one because you have Ace fighting Captain Chromium, but then you also have the kids up there, Adrian and Nova. Yeah. And Nova's trying to be sneaky to get up behind Ace and touch him so that he'll fall asleep and they can just take the helmet off of him. Right. Which would have been truthfully the most peaceful plan to all of it. But of course that's not what happens. Right. And Ace wants Nova's star because they think it's a weapon they can use against Captain Chromium. But Nova doesn't give it to him. That is the moment where Ace and Nova reveal to Captain Chromium that they are related. And she finds out that technically Ace had her family killed and not the roaches particularly. And I think that was also, correct me if I'm wrong, an area that was supposed to be protected by Adrian's mother and she died that night and that's why she didn't come to protect Nova because she was dead. Right. Because Ace had planned it all out. Exactly. Had Phobia kill her so that she wouldn't protect Nova's family. Right. So like double crossings everywhere. Which definitely took all question of whether she was fighting on one side or the other out of the question. She was definitely a renegade at that point. Like she was sick of it. So... Even Ace being family, I think, pretty much was not enough to stop her from doing anything at that point. And at that point, Ace attempts to take Nova's whole bracelet from her using his powers. But she's, like, going after this bracelet, like, this is mine, not yours. But it's not like Ace really needed more power on top of everything else. And I believe at this point, Ace uses his powers to just sort of lift up the city. Yeah, after pinning Nova up against, like, a wall or something along those lines up on the roof. Like right. Just throws her back. But, yeah, it literally ends up lifting every city off the foundation or every building from the city off of the foundation. So it starts to get really intense really fast. Right. And then, like last time, in comes Max to save the day. It wasn't as abrupt and quick of a victory for Max as it was last time because, obviously... Ace wasn't going to underestimate him. Right, right. So I I don't know that I really want to continue with spoilers, but... Um, well, basically they have the fight and Ace doesn't win. Yep. And the Renegades do win. And there's a big thing that happens and it sort of relates to everyone. Yeah. Prodigy and non-prodigy at this point. And Max sort of goes through a really tough time of it and that part was hard for me to read like anytime max is like in that much pain and like suffering i'm like how about we don't how about we read something else because i don't want to read about that yeah but he basically reestablishes the balance in the world right through the star that nova's dad had created right and also the city is fine from what ace had done like it basically got put back down gently where it's supposed to go and like yeah there's gonna be like water issues and stuff like that but like it's better it's better than it was better than the possibility of all of it coming crashing down and killing millions of people so right it i guess was a good thing because of that but the epilogue well i'm trying to see if there's anything before the epilogue that we really need to discuss did ace actually die or did he just I don't think it's actually stated. He did fall off the top of the church. So, so like... Probably? I would think so. No, it does. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He is going to be buried in a chromium coffin for him and his Oh, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that now. Yeah. Like somewhere down in the catacombs of the church. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like really not that hard of a place to find him because like that's kind of like his base. I don't know. I feel like they could have picked a bigger place or a better place to put him somewhere other than there, but... I feel like it makes sense. That's where he's been hiding out for 10 years. Yeah. It's been his home for 10 years. Yeah. And then we have an epilogue, which the first time I read this book, I didn't realize it's not in Nova's perspective. Like, it sounded to me the way that Nova sounds at the beginning of the first Renegades book. So I was like, so all of that growth for nothing is what I thought. Like, she had all this growth and stuff, especially at the end of the book, and just she's right back to where she was. But it's not from Nova's perspective. After three pages, I pretty much knew it wasn't Nova's perspective, but it's... It's not immediately noticeable because it's similar enough to the way Nova sounds in general. Yeah. But at the same time, once you get a couple of pages in, you're like, oh no, she grew too much for that. Yeah. And we find out some stuff. Which we won't talk about because honestly, I don't want to ruin the epilogue for anyone. Basically, there is even more to the story than you realize than we expected. Yeah. And honestly, it kind of leaves open for like a split off a little bit to this other storyline a little bit, but I don't think anything's going to ever come of that, but it's a good thing to like leave it open just if, in case if she, she ever wants feels to, like come to come back, back to, to it. it. Yeah. But I don't feel like this was a book of the same success as her Lunar Chronicles, so I don't feel like it's ever going to get picked up for more books. That's too bad. Yeah, because I almost would like a prequel series to come before the Renegades of this character whose perspective we got in the epilogue, and it to explain like their history and everything. How they grew up and all that stuff, how they were brought up. Yeah. Yeah. Because we spend a lot of time in the Renegades discussing and thinking about morally great characters and people who see the good and bad of their side, of whichever one they are, the villains or the good guys. And sort of this question of, well, are they the good guys, really? And, like, the bad guys aren't that bad, are they? And I feel like this perspective in a series would give you more of that and it would better help discuss the question of nature versus nurture yeah i could see that i think that's really all i can say before i start dropping names and stuff right but what did you rate this one you know the crappy thing is i haven't rated it yet um you finished it more than a day ago so yeah. i hope you would rate it at some point well i did work 12 hours the day after i finished this so yeah. my brain wasn't really in the mood to rate things at the moment but i would say it's probably like a good three eight four two range like i really enjoyed the book and the ending was more than i'd hoped for and the epilogue like i literally ran back here and was like my mind just exploded you were back here in the library like taking photos i think and i was like holy crap yeah. So it you was were good. like, is this thing this thing? And I was like, yeah. Yeah. Like my brain had already connected the dots. It just wanted confirmation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Overall, I really enjoy this series and I like how it's a fresh take on superheroes while discussing like morally gray people and, you know, what's good, what's bad, and right. that sort of thing. Because morally gray is my favorite color, as we know. 
if it hasn't been stated every episode, it's like every other episode at least. I feel like that's an exaggeration, but not that bad of one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not far off, you have to admit. Yeah. But between now and the next episode, we are going to read Hatchet, like yes. we've already discussed, and we'll see if I can survive one of your book picks. I think you'll do just fine. I just think you're going to write it really low, and I'm going to cry next week. I'll bring tissues. Okay. But in the meantime, make sure you're staying connected with us on all the social media. It will be linked in the show notes. And we'll see you on Tuesday for a sports episode next week. Bye, guys. Bye.